0: You are listening to Road to CEO, nothing but in-depth interviews with executives about their journeys as CEO. I'm your host, Will Marlowe, and I hope you enjoy the show. Very excited for today's episode of Road to CEO. I'm here today with Mukund Krishna, a technologist, a mentor, investor, and the founder of Suyati, a global company that we're going to learn all about. Mukund, thanks so much for joining us on Road to CEO.
1: Well, thank you so much, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to spend some time with you and share a bit about my journey so
0: far. So Makunda, did I pronounce the name of your company correctly?
1: Yes, it's, um, well, uh, Suyati is the uh, right pronunciation, but Suyati is okay, and it's acceptable.
0: Okay, okay, and uh, what does it mean? Is, it, is there a significance to the name? Sure, uh,
1: Suyati means good people in Sanskrit. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Indian names, you know, you, you might have heard names like Suresh, suma, su you know the the prefix su stands for good hmm. and Yeti stands for good person and plural
0: people fascinating yeah, yeah so what is what is Suyati all about what kind of a company is it
1: okay well uh why don't i start uh if you don't mind you know maybe uh uh start uh you know uh this session a bit uh you know the intro to you know my background and uh, what made me prompted me to come up with that name? What prompted me to, um, you know, start a company and so on? Would that be all right? I'd
0: lo- I'd love to hear about that. Absolutely. Okay, okay. So uh,
1: prior to starting Sviati, uh, my uh, experience, uh, you know, I dabbled in entrepreneurship a little bit, and uh, prior to that, um, you know, I had a career, you know, with companies like General Motors. Uh, spent a few years consulting at Ford, um, and also worked for a company uh, called Powerway, which was owned by Chrysler, or majority owned by Chrysler. Uh, Chrysler was the majority investor in that company. So, uh, prior to that, um, you know, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, a bachelor's, a master's, and also in mechanical engineering from State University of New York in Buffalo. I have an MBA in finance and management from uh, the Kelley School of Business at uh, IU, you know, Indiana University, Um, and uh, so, you know, if I look at my background, uh, I've grown up uh, from a family standpoint. My dad worked for a bank, uh, uh, retired, you know, working from a bank. My mom was a homemaker, so really, you know, I did not uh, aspire to be an entrepreneur, uh, but I did want, uh, you know, to be a CEO, the top job in a company. I was, uh, but I expected myself, uh, you know, to follow, you know, the traditional career path, um, you know, onto uh, becoming a leader or a general manager of a company. So that that was my uh, interest, um, you know, a few years after I you know, started working from from college. Uh, so, however, uh, in in 2002, um, you know, uh, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and I felt that, you know, maybe it was time for me to, uh, to relocate back to India to spend time with him, and I was looking for opportunities to go there, and that's when um, I, I got a feel for my first entrepreneurial opportunity, although it was not fully entrepreneurial, uh, you know, the, being that I did not, uh, I was not... The, key owner of the company. Uh, I joined with, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, a gentleman from Indianapolis who had his own company, and he wanted to set up an operations in India. Uh, I went in, um, you know, as a junior partner, uh, and then set up the operations for him in India. So that was my uh, but then then I had a small stake in the business, I also had the ability to perform and earn Uh, a slightly bigger portion uh, uh, of the business's earned equity. So came to India in 2004, end of 2004, early 2005, uh, as a CEO of a company called Sigma Micro's uh, India operations and uh, uh, started uh, the development center in Kochi, India. Kochi is a southwestern part of the country. Uh, Got that started and in a few years, um realized that uh uh you know uh not being where the market is um because the market for uh, sigma micro's products were all in the United States and uh I was in Indi- in India and then you know trying to build the solutions for it. So to be a true businessman you need to really have a feel and understanding of the market. But things are uh, going fine with Sigma um uh, micro and then until 2008 2009 uh, happened you know the Lehman brothers crisis and you know some of the challenges that happened in 2008 um, the owner decided to exit uh, the software business and, and decided to focus uh, pivot his business towards uh, uh, fulfillment and other uh, things surrounding the retail business that uh, I was building software for so that's when um, I had a couple of choices in front of me one, Uh, migrate to a bigger city, you know, from where I was living in Kochi, which is a smaller town, um, and go to a bigger city and look for a job uh, or do something on my own. My family, after relocating back from the U.S., um, was fairly comfortable in Kochi. My girls, I have two girls, they're both uh, in school. They were happy. And uh, my wife, Kochi, is her hometown. And she was also well settled. And I didn't feel like shaking things up. So I felt that uh you know it might make sense for me to start something and uh, that became the you know the idea of the genesis for uh for Suyeti. and as i explained uhzi uh means good people and uh one of my initial thoughts uh was starting the company I, I did not uh you know to be honest you know have a you know major vision or anything it was it was out of you know uh, partially uh, through compulsion and partially through, hey, you know, uh, I'm interested in doing something on my own. And uh, and the thought of having the freedom to do things and make decisions on my own was also um, uh, interesting for me. So I started C so with the primary goal of creating a nice environment for people, uh, where people um, uh, work, um, have the freedom to learn new things, freedom to contribute to customers, um, and, of course, I did not think um how I was going to get the customers right so that was when um you know I started wondering, hey, how am I going to be able to do that uh because sitting in India with my primary customer base outside India, how was I going to you know do that so those uh, questions were running through my mind and um, so after starting to so the first uh you know my previous uh uh, the uh, the company the owner of the company was kind enough to give me an opportunity because he needed my help to uh, to support as the software business was winding down to support you know provide some basic support so that became the seed uh, business for for Suyati so we had a small team of four to five people supporting that, uh, you know his operations and then uh, then you know I acquired the facility um, invested some of my own capital. And started uh, uh, so we can get into more details as you get into specifics as to how I grew the company in.
0: yeah I, I'd love to, to dig into all of that i it's interesting because you and I have a few a few things in common and um, you know one of those things is being affected by the Lehman the, the collapse of Lehman brothers uh, I founded my first company so I, I planned my first company uh, Pre Lehman Brothers, and I, but I launched it post Lehman Brothers, and so it was that was that's not a good that's not a good sequence of events. So I, I still remember when Lehman Brothers collapsed, and you know capital became so much more expensive. Uh, I lost, you know, I, I was going through a seed round of funding, yeah. and um, yeah. you know we we got about half of the seed round essentially. So we had yeah. to develop, and, and it, it worked out okay. It was still a good. You know, still a wonderful experience and a great business, but my life would have been very different had uh, had my plans materialized, but with uh, before Lehman Brothers collapsed and all the capital. You know, for a first-time entrepreneur after Lehman Brothers, nobody wanted to to hand over cash to uh, to, to uh, an unknown entrepreneur.
1: No doubt, and you know, uh, and that in lies a story. You know, in in terms of uh for me um uh you' are right, you know, I talked to a bunch of people to see if um, you know they would invest any money in my business right so uh, I went through something similar where there was no interest um, and it's also because it's not that I was doing something uh, which was very special right you know my my business was software services, and there were a hundred other software services companies so uh there wasn't anything you know unique per se uh, but at the same time you know i was able to show that okay you know i could uh, deliver good returns um you know on the money right and it was interesting uh, the only person that invested um uh, in me is my was my classmate from buffalo his name is robert Kidd, i'm happy to mention his name here in this meeting and bob said uh well I don't care, you know, I'll just put the money because you're going to run it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was no reason behind his investment. So, yeah. you know, he put, he put a token investment and more than the value of the money, um, you know, it, it's the encouragement yeah. that made a difference for me. And uh, it wasn't necessarily financial, but uh, you know, now I'm happy to say, I'm able to return to Bob a 12X return. That's so, what you know, so he, he's, he's a happy man from
0: yeah. that sense. It, it it's, so, it's so true, though, how important that type of encouragement is. I remember when I was doing my second business, I got a partnership from Google. Um, I was one of the first people to be what was called a Google-trusted photographer. So I was Google-certified for create basically the, the same way that the Google car will drive around on public yeah. property and record everything they they wanted uh, private individuals to do that on private property and so you know Uh, because they didn't you know they couldn't just walk into a private business and and you know without permission and all that so they decided they wanted to partner so i i accepted that partnership it was it was great but the main thing that it was great for was just that security that that you know really provided confidence to be to know that if something went wrong you've still got, you know, you're okay, there's not going to be a a big catastrophe. And I I think that's really important. Yes,
1: absolutely. You know, I have uh, no doubt in my mind that, you know, we always, and, you know, so my kids were, uh, I think when I started, they were, you know, 11 and 7 or something like that. And, uh, you know, so there's always these fears, right? I mean, I had reasonable savings uh, because you know, I used to work in the U.S. Uh, I saved up a bunch of money and I came back. I worked here, made good money, but at the same time, when you're signing payroll checks and the money keeps draining out your, out of your account, you're like, "Hey, you know?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I have never uh, missed a payroll ever. And uh, uh, so, you know, with that kind of a mindset, you know, that's something that I used to worry a lot. Hey, how am I going to make a payroll? And and so, one of the first things that I did, uh, we are one of the few companies that uh, you know. I'm happy to say, you know, we have six to six months to a year's worth of payroll money. You know, so there's even when COVID hit us, yeah. you know, we weren't worried that we knew we would get out of it, and uh, and that we didn't have to lay off anyone. Uh, you know, so because we were confident, we told the employees, Hey, there's nothing to worry. Just continue a status quo. You know, if you don't have any work because the customer. Uh, is no longer with us because of COVID, uh, you know, here's a bunch of new things that you can learn and, you know, get ready to contribute when the growth yeah. takes off again, right? And that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, the story after that, the great resignation started, yeah. uh, because, uh, you know, we did, we had zero attrition for almost a year. And after that, things just turned over, you know, turned on its head. So the entire industry now is uh, you know, and this, and this has been a you know, fantastic learning experience, right? It's, you learn about how a company evolves, how people evolve, how the society around you evolves. And, uh, you know, the amount of transformation that I've seen in the last two years, um, you know, a lot of people are thinking that, hey, you know, things will come back to normal. I don't think so. I think it's here to stay. Yeah. Um, I think the new normal, as they call it, uh, you know, will continue, and uh, the businesses have to adapt. Um, and the good news for me is that I can source for talent around the world. You know, we just signed a contract with a company, that said that you know you can select, you can you can pick your talent from around the world, and we'll handle the payroll and the administration and you know whatnot. So, uh, so there's all kinds of things going on. But you know, I do have concerns about losing that you know cultural cohesion uh, that we have, and how do we keep that right? So those are some things that we are working on figuring out how to you know make those things happen. Yeah.
0: So you you made a, a comment that I, I want to dig into. So um, you know, you talked I think about I'm not sure if you used this word, but but differentiation or competitive competitive advantage, or you know the um, you know and how you weren't doing something truly unique. Um, I would actually, I would argue, I've thought a lot about this and I, so I started a software company and then I, and that was my first business. And then now I'm doing a services business. I'm building, you know, it's (laughs) a people-based company and, and I, and I feel very similarly to you that the, um, that I want my, one of my big motivations was creating a great culture. I wanted a great place for people to work. Um, and uh, I would argue that there, a services a true services company really never has differentiation from another services company, unless, except for the culture, you know the culture, yes. and I think the culture is a very powerful differentiator. It seems like oh, you could just copy a culture, or you could just you know, and that's really crazy. I mean, it's I mean it's it is so much work to create. I mean, when I hear you say. That you want you you think about how do you preserve the culture? I I know what you're talking about on that. I mean, it is if it disappears, you're you yeah. know it's trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, you you are absolutely right. And I think I think culture, um, you know, our culture uh, was you know kind of evolved over a period of time. And um, so also for my services business, you are right. When I started it, I you know did not have. A specific focus or or a specific message to deliver to our customers, our prospects. I did not know how to segment, uh, how to you know segment by market, What were the areas of focus, and you know those kind of things were not uh, you know I I didn't know how to do it. You know but, you know so, but then as I started attending conferences, meeting people, and um, and understanding how. Uh, technology was evolving, and then I realized that there is a market for uh, customer experience-related uh, software development and services. So we started calling ourselves a CX uh, customer experience software company. And so then our focus uh, became um, building websites using you know high-end website platforms like Sitecore, Sitefinity, mm-hmm. uh, Adobe, you know so on, and then uh, connected to the website is the CRM system, the customer relationship management systems like Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, doing implementations there, uh, and then connecting it um, also to pro- platforms like e-commerce, mm. like Magento or, or something to create, and then to marketing automation, marketing campaigns, email campaigns. So creating the full cycle of uh, um, customer you know, website presence, customer touch, understanding of the customer and delivering a good experience to the customer. Uh, and now once we integrated, you know, all those touch points I talked about, we're able to extract data and then, you know, conduct our analytics analysis. We have created something called the buyer rhythms engine, for um, understanding uh, the beats of the buyer, so to speak, you know, to understand how the buyer behaviors are and how maybe, uh, you know, make their experience better at every point that they're touching uh, you know the company, so so that's how we built the focus. And with respect to culture and values, you are right that that still is our primary differentiator. Uh, so this has been there uh, for very many years. Uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, we have three you know primary values. One is expertise. We try to become good in whatever that we want to be. You know, the area that we want to focus on. So as I said, you know, we want to focus on customer experience technology. Secondly it's dependability you know so we want to be dependable both for our customers and for our fellow employees so if there's any situation any difficulty we are there so whether you know there's floods in your house you know we have employees going and helping out our customer has some kind of an attack uh, cyber attack and we are there uh, you know rebuilding their website within 24 hours right so we have done you know these kind of things and the third most important thing, that I think it is going to help us. Um, it's helping us now and helping us in the long run. Is uh, empathy. And so we very we are very focused on understanding. You know, putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and and trying to really empathize and see how we can help. And uh, we have structured our business relationships in such a way to help our customers see through various challenges. You know, there are customers that turned off the switch. Um, overnight, when COVID hit us, mm-hmm. right. technically, you know, we could have gone to court. We could have done a lot of things that would, you know, maybe got us some compensation, but it's not worth the trouble. Yeah. Because they're doing it because they're not, you know, they're in a difficult situation. Yeah. So there's no point in so, you know, so those were the lessons we learned. That and now, business is coming back to us on the double. Yeah. You know, be, because we were considerate. And uh, and you know people appreciate that.
0: I love hearing that, and it's so it's so interesting to me how your experience has mirrored mine in a number of ways. We had we lost, I think it was thirty percent of our revenue with COVID. Um, we did not. We but but that was only because those businesses were in a terrible situation. You know, we happened to have expanded into retail clients that that legally had to shut down because of covid and so yeah. their revenue went to zero um you know and so we so our approach was to allow any client that wanted to take an indefinite pause um they w- would then be able to when the, if and you know, when or if they they came back to business, they could st- start up again with us, and that's what happened. You know, we and we've been able to grow. You know, uh, you know, I, I not not double. Well, actually, the rate of growth probably is pr- double what it was, um, and we've grown by fifty percent beyond, or by the end of last year, we were fifty percent beyond where we where we would have been before COVID. You know, it, it just but we took a scary hit for three months, six months, you know, and, and it took 12 months fully to get back to where we were.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I think my journey is very similar uh, in the in the last uh, 12, 18 months. Uh, as I said, you know, the, the hit was pretty severe for the first uh, nine months or so. Yeah. And then we started things turning around. And uh, so we are back to our pre-COVID numbers and we're doing better. And I think, I think we'll will do really well this year. Yeah.
0: So you've, you've given us some insight into, into what type of business it is. Can you just maybe give us an example? It doesn't have to be a specific customer, but, but what would, what, what exactly does a customer hire you for? And where, what do they come to your yeah. company for exactly?
1: Okay. So uh, for a bunch of things.
0: Um, so,
1: but it's all pertaining to software development services. So I'll give you uh, some examples. Uh, for example, uh, a publishing company. Um, so this is a self-published uh, publishing company. Is a client of ours, um, and uh, and th- these guys um, they help people publish books, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's this whole process of uh, book publishing where you know you acquire customers, you acquire um, uh, you know you help the process of you know the production of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you help uh, push the book to different channels so that it gets bought, and then you have to return royalty back to uh, back to the person who's writing the book sure. right so you know so this is an entire workflow. This workflow has multiple customer touch points or the end customer. you know so we' have built software for companies like like this. Uh, there's another company which is a bus manufacturer. Um, you know, so they have a um, a bus production line. So they build custom buses. So what we have done is help them, um, you know, digitize uh, their quality assurance process. You know, is the right part being fitted into the bus, uh, you know, as it goes through the assembly line? Yeah. Uh, are see. the parts that are being scheduled for the next day, are they ready to be available? Or yeah. there, is there some kind of a, an issue, you know? So custom software is one thing. Yeah. The second thing we do is implementation of platforms. So I talked about Salesforce. Uh, we do uh, a lot of Salesforce implementations. Uh, basically, uh, you know, Salesforce has uh, the marketing cloud, you know, where you can run marketing campaigns, email campaigns, sure. uh, email drip campaigns, understand how people are engaging with you, and then react based on that. So we help with that process. We help with the uh, implementation of Salesforce Sales Cloud, uh, Salesforce Services Cloud. So different things around Salesforce. Uh, we do some of the things around Microsoft Dynamics. You know, implementing uh, you know your CRM using Dynamics. Um, we also, as I said, do website implementations for in-depth analytics and in-depth customer experience delivery, uh, e-commerce implementations. So, so we talked about custom software. We talked about platforms like Salesforce, uh, e-commerce platforms like Magento. Um, and you know marketing tech platforms, etc. And then uh, the third thing that we do is analytics. Mm-hmm. So once you have uh, once you have implemented these platforms or built your custom application, uh, what happens is that you can do a lot with the data that you have collected. Okay, so so we are able to uh, help create um, data lakes, um, uh, you know, take the data out, do the analysis, reporting, uh, analytics. Uh, perhaps uh, apply uh, machine learning uh, algorithms derive insights and you know you're able to make decisions based on those insights uh, so for example uh, in the case of one educational uh, company that we are helping with you know when they get a lead from the website you know we'll be able to give some indicators as to what's the chance that this particular lead uh, might can work who is the person counselor that you can put on the lead, or, you know, uh, have this uh, counselor talk to, I mean, this particular person, you know, who's a lead, you know, contact information. So those are the kind of things uh, that we could do uh, using, you know, analytics. So there's one company, uh, for example, uh, this is a large uh, uh, lead gen company, and these guys uh, process, um, you know, Literally hundreds of thousands of leads that they that they get you know on their websites, and they have callers uh, that call out to those to, to those leads and then see if they're suitable for the you know for the insurance products uh, the portfolio of insurance products they're selling right. And now, oh, well, there's only the conversion is limited to less than one percent. I mean that's that's how bad the conversion is. So if we are able to understand the demographics that they are calling into and we are able to give them interesting insights like what's the best time to call this particular lead what's the product that you can talk to this lead about right and what might the you know what could they afford you know that if we are able to give that kind of insight when the person is making the phone call it becomes a lot more effective and the conversion rate you know doubles triples etc i'm sure so it makes the process more efficient so these are the kind of things that we could do with analytics and you know some of the platform implementations i talked about around customer acquisition
0: so i'm hearing about three there's th- three important buckets you've got you've uh, you've got custom software you've got platforms and you've got analytics are those right. three areas equal, or is one of them a bigger driver of growth, or do you do them all frequently for the same client?
1: Yeah, I, I think we do all, uh, uh, but not necessarily for the same client. But typically, the first two is our most common, you know, which is the custom software and the platforms like Salesforce, yeah. uh, Dynamics, and the website. So that's that's probably most of our business. The analytics is reasonably new um, and um, now along with uh, these two in you know, the custom software uh, and the platforms, we're doing a lot of cloud migrations, you know, the, mm. the custom applications that we have built, we migrated to new cloud platforms, make, you know, make it uh, more secure, uh, you know, for example, you know, sometimes people ask me. Uh, Hey you know what? Um, how can cloud be more secure? Um, you know I might have my own data center and I, I think uh, you, know, you I can be more secure that way. So the example I give them is, are you telling me you're more secure than Microsoft or Amazon? Right. Right. <laughs> you know the, the yeah. kind of security measures and the investments that they have made in making it secure mm-hmm. is, is unbelievable, right? So uh, it makes all, all the sense to migrate to the cloud, unless there are other good reasons. Right? There are good reasons to, uh, you know, to be you know on premise and all that. But then it is better to migrate some of the applications of the cloud because you can take advantage of the security and all those measures that these big cloud providers have. Right? So we do some of the uh, the cloud migrations, cloud implementations, um, but they are kind of integrated to both platforms. And the custom software so you know yeah and also analytics some of the analytic solutions we deploy on the cloud
0: so you have talked about culture and it sounds like we both share of the view that culture in a business is is critical maybe especially for services businesses like ours um how did you did you always feel that way before you started your company was that did you always think that you wanted the culture to be really strong? And, and how did you go about uh, uh, advocating for the culture? Yeah,
1: I, I think, you know that's a great question.
0: That's a great question, Will, because
1: uh, uh, I did not really think about these things. Okay. And what I realized over a period of time is that as I started looking back into how the people around me were working with me and how they are working with each other as I started observing them, I started realizing that some of the qualities that I had, right, personally as a uh, as an individual, you know, I could see that, you know, getting reflected in their behavior and their ways. And, you know, maybe because they were trying to emulate me, um, you know, I'm a stickler for process. Uh, I'm a stickler for doing things uh, neatly and clearly. My office facilities are uh, spotless, right? So, so they started imbibing some of those things, and you know, now whether I'm there in the office or not, you know, things are you know operating, you know, in a way that I would have liked, right? So these are through repeated reinforcements, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and then people have started, you know. Uh, beginning to realize that that is the culture of the company or that is the, uh, you know, so sometimes I, I tell people, and if you want to see how clean a company is run, go check out their bathrooms, right? Yeah. If their bathrooms are clean, well-maintained, uh, you know, all the things are there, the right places, then you know it's a, it's a good company yeah. because the same attention is given to the rest of the stuff. right? So, uh, so that's one uh, thing. So, one of the things I can also talk about things uh, that you know I, I've learned a lot. You know, I've also made mistakes. Sometimes uh, I am the type that uh, uh, I do not clearly communicate my expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I make assumptions that you know. Uh, if I tell people something or my my reports, for example, hey, you know, get this done. Initially, it used to be hey, you know, I would expect them to get it done the way I would have gotten it done, right? And then I started realizing that people are different. You know, they think differently, they approach problems differently. You can't really, uh, you know, give them minuscule detail for instructions because what happens is that it takes away their decision-making ability. Mm -hmm. And then they started coming to you for, uh, they start coming to you for, and that's, and that prevents scaling. And I I realized that late in the game, right? And then I started late, you know, five, six years into the game, because I was involved in everything. It's like, hey, how how am I going to grow this company after six years? right? So then I started realizing that I had to bring the talent that can actually make decisions, uh, that can—it's not that the people that I had could not make; they could make decisions. But you know, perhaps I trained them to come to me for decisions just because of my nature, my you know penchant for details, right? Asking all kinds of questions, or you know. Uh, so I realized that I needed to be careful around that. I needed to then, uh, then you know, since then I brought some great managers. I have a great CEO for the company now, you know, I uh, I mentioned earlier that I've stepped down from that role after, uh, you know, a transition, you know, we can talk about that a bit later in the the Mm -hmm. discussion. Um, So he is, uh, he's very clear on his agenda on, and he has been able to do it, is to to distribute the decision-making and, you know, through many mechanisms, you know, through budgeting, uh, through uh, the right kind of uh, KRAs uh, by clearly communicating our values, you know, expertise, dependability, and empathy, uh, talking about what we call cultural imperatives. So uh, I'm separating values from cultural imperatives, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, values are something that's personal, right? You know, to, to me, you know, if I, if for me, it's expertise. I want to be dependable to people, I want to be very empathetic. But as a company, we felt that uh, we have to be customer-centric, we have to be collaborative, and we have to be performance-driven, right? -hmm. So these are the two things, the values and culture uh, that we look at holistically. And uh, my CEO has been, you know, he joined as a CBO, Chief Business Officer, three years ago, and then he became the CEO. So he was able to bring in some of these other things I talked about, where how do you measure performance? right because what happens is that in an entrepreneurial company uh you know people start sensing you know they're, they're, they're they'll say hey Mukun, you know this guy is talking to mccune you know sitting in his office for 45 minutes a day so i think Mukund likes him more than this guy right Yeah. simple stuff well it's not the case at all that people start imagining these things and can't blame them for it because that's mm. how people think, because they're coming to me for decisions and uh, so but when you establish systems in place and policies in place, you know uh, it, it makes things really clear to everyone that it's fair, you know uh, you know people have responsibilities all across the board, they have to make decisions across the board, they have to perform in their role well and they have to exhibit these values and these cultural imperatives in their role however relevant you know may be you know for the for the role they're doing so that that's been done over the last three four years and uh, things are going well
0: i think that's that's fascinating um the uh you know and it's it's also interesting how with the culture that you're describing um how I could see there being challenges as, as businesses are virtualized. And, and I think you mentioned, uh, you know, that you recently got an account where you can hire people all over the world. Uh, at least I think that's what you, what you said. And so is that a new thing for you? Is that, is that up until now, or maybe through now are, are all your employees based in India? Um, or are you used to hiring people who are distributed all over the world?
1: Well, well, India is a big country, right? Uh, I mean, if you are in Kochi or Bangalore or Delhi, it's as good as you being in India and then you being in the United States.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, of course, I I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, time differences aren't as severe, but there are still cultural differences. Um, you know, people have different mindsets, different way of working, uh, and so on. So, so we are used to this. Um, you know, as, as an outsourcing software development company, uh, we have always been very cognizant of the cultural differences between US and India, uh, and then the subcultures within India itself, subcultures within the US itself. Northeast companies are different from California companies. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so you have similar differences here, differences there. Um, ultimately, what we realized is that um, so you know, uh, to answer the first part of your question, uh, we had we have worked with global teams before, uh, in India and US, but primarily in India, uh, because 90% of my team, 90 95% is here. Uh, we have recently opened an office in Canada. Our US office has been operational since 2014. Um, and uh, so we have an office. Uh, in uh, um, kind of a consulting office in Germany and another in, in Singapore and so on, but uh, they're not very functional. But we can use it if we need them. You know, uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, you know, we have had partners, uh, partnerships with companies. Uh, one in Costa Rica, for example. You know, we've used them to support us on some of our projects that required people on U.S. Uh, time. You know, to be available on U.S. time zone. So we have done, you know, these kind of things, and then also people in India or uh, in the IT industry understand that uh, the primary customer base is the United States. 60%, 60-65% of India's IT businesses is, is US. Right? So people understand that, you know, either they come to work early or stay late uh, to, to make sure that there's, a, you know, three to four hour overlap, and uh, and that's typically more than enough. it's not that you're going to be talking to someone you know more than a few hours a day max Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so and also the the 24-hour cycle of work actually helps because when you're sleeping in the morning when you get up and come back there's already a bunch of work that's done and then before you leave for the day you tell them what exactly to do they're able to turn it around the next day so it's kind of nice from that standpoint as well so um two, three things. So in terms of global teams, so we have significant experience working with teams around the world, across cultures. Um, And so when the shift is started, you know, with this COVID and the hybrid model and so on, it's easy for us, um, you know, to adapt. Uh, It is not a big deal because we are already used to working, you know, remotely, Uh, you know, for us, when when india in india they had a very strong lockdown you know we had an announcement twenty four hours before the lockdown and it was over a weekend and and we were online from the next day i mean there there's no problem the entire company was online, so there was really no issue in you know our our infrastructure our cloud our security you know everything was in place because we knew this was coming and and plus we are used to it uh so yeah so that said uh, you know we are prepared for it however we're still we're still not figured out as i said how to engage with people around us, right how, how do we uh, how do we make them part of the uh, you know uh, share our values understand their values talk about our cultural imperatives so uh, because you know we do have a, a good onboarding process we have a buddy process where uh, an existing employee, you know, becomes a buddy of a new employee who joins, mm. um, you know, is with him or her for a while. Uh, they will answer questions and, you know. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, the, the the cohesion, you know, having an all hands meeting in the office, sharing a meal, um, you know, doing something together, uh, playing a game of cricket or soccer or something, right, yeah. you know, these kind of things.
0: Um, Uh, make a difference also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in my experience, so I have a company in the US uh, and a a large office in Serbia. And the biggest difference for me was was bringing on professional management for the office in Serbia. And that seems so obvious to me in retrospect, thinking that I could manage an office from thousands of miles away and, and, you know, you, but you, it falls apart at the, you know, at that cultural level, not, not even the comp, the country level, you know, you know, the cultural imperatives, or I think you, you referred to them as, as what, what, what did you refer to them as a uh, country? Yeah, the
1: imperatives. Yeah. You, know, you need to have them, yeah. uh, you know, and you need to be very cognizant and make sure that people understand that those are imperatives. You know, if yeah. you're working for the company, you need to believe in these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that was that was transformational to to do that for for my company, um, and I I think it you know whether it, whether folks are working virtually um, or or not, um, I think it is critical to have that kind of professional management where uh, you have a deep understanding of the the culture and you're able to discuss the values that we all share you know i you know like like yourself you know we we defined three uh values that we 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 hire for ours are pursuit of knowledge helpfulness and hard work um those you know and and we talk about those a lot at the hiring process um you know uh we try to talk about i mean we i say we try because i i I always feel like I could be doing more to, you know, to, to, to discuss them. And then I always think, okay, it's been too long. We haven't, but, but, but they're meaningful values that, that, uh, I think if someone doesn't share those values, then they're probably not going to be happy in this, in this, in this job. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the other thing is to your point about how we communicate this across. You know virtual lines, you know I really think that probably more than a big company or a traditional company, a company that's going virtual, which maybe every company um, right. is going to need things written down. The procedures need to be documented. Things need to be clear. Um, probably, maybe more. Maybe they always needed that, but but I think um, you know they, in many cases new companies you know if you're an entrepreneur oftentimes you neglect it um i know i did early on i think now it is it 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 really is transformational because it empowers employees to really have that sense of certainty i i remember uh i remember early on what you know what you said about how um if you were talking to somebody a lot, people would think, okay, well, you like them more, they're getting favoritism, they're going to get promotions or whatever. And I remember being frustrated by that, you know, because I, I just want to, I just want to talk to who I need to talk to. And I don't want to think that I'm being interpreted all the time, (laughs) Uh, but, but it, it really, you know, when you write things down and you get the procedures and the, and, and and people understand, okay, well, that's why, these conversations are taking place. I think it helps it probably doesn't change that completely. But but it helps. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I agree. It doesn't change this completely. Uh, but having the clarity that they can go somewhere and look. So for example, if they know that promotions are based on these things, yes. these five factors, and that they're able to see that consistency, right? Uh, you know, or salary increases, or whatever, right, they're able to see that, you know, that there is a pattern to this, if you do these, these these five things really well, you'll be recognized, right? Yeah. So when these things are clear, then it becomes easy. Uh, so yeah, and, you know, I, I think, uh, for us, it became a necessity because we started having offices in multiple locations, mm-hmm. we started, you know, so we realized that, uh, you know, we have to get this done, you know, get um, you know, we we couldn't continue to, you know, just have conversations and communicate what we were thinking. Because, you know, let's say, you know, I'm talking to one of my employees, and then half an hour later, uh, I get a call from somebody else, you know, my mood, my mood, you know, goes down, and then another guy comes in, and, you know, contradiction may be different. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, we are human beings after all. So, and, and sometimes the processes that we set in place also frustrate people. because some of some of the people find that, hey, you know what? I could talk to Kun anytime that I wanted. Right now he's not available, or the HR is telling me go look up the process. Right. So I think that's a challenge we go through as well. And, Absolutely. Uh, but again, uh, with remote, uh, you know, none of us are meeting each other anyway, and if we need to meet it's over Zoom or, you know, whatnot. So it's bringing its own uh, challenges, uh, but at the same time, own advantages. So yeah, yeah, so it's it's a totally new outlook. Uh, and I think, uh, as I said before, it's here to stay. And, uh, you know, and the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, people share things on Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, Hey, welcome new employee. This that, but uh, but but the, the challenges. Nobody really knows what's going on, right? Yeah. But when we were together, we would know. Hey, you know, we could come in together to solve a problem, or you know, so uh, kind of bounce ideas of each other very quickly, right? So those kind of things are a lot more difficult to do now. Uh, other than and and people make up their minds based on social posts which may or may not be uh, relevant at all so
0: quite possibly so, <laughs> aren't
1: <laughs> exactly uh, and 90 percent is irrelevant yeah. but you know but then you know uh, it, it depends on you know your personality if, if if you like being recognized that way people are happy if you don't like it then you don't want it, right? So (laughs) you don't know what person wants. And so these are the things we are learning as a company that uh, we can't take anything for granted. So we have to really understand every person on a personal level and have policies and things that are very, very flexible, dynamic, um, very empathetic, and, and that's why empathy is extremely key. And I'm glad it's one of our values uh, for many years. And you know, and
0: and that that helps. And empathy is more important now than before. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm seeing it every day. I, I I agree. I think I I think it's to me I I read a long time ago that you the best indicator of. Whether you're going to be happy at work is if you have friends at work, and yes. to me, it's hard to think about being friends with people that don't have empathy and that don't. You know, it's like <laughs> it's yes. such a yeah. good, yeah. it's such a good value for promoting that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it, it and previously, you know, um, while people did not understand what empathy meant, right. You know, you know, I myself you know, would confuse it with sympathy mm. or compassion. You know, they're all good qualities, right? Compassion is a great quality to have. Uh, but empathy is different. Uh, it, it's about, you know, trying to do your best to understand while keeping the work that needs to be done in perspective, while keeping your responsibilities in perspective, uh, so it, it, it's not about, uh, you know, uh, just breaking down, you know, because of sympathy and, you know, failing in your responsibilities. So, yeah.
0: So there are two things I, I want to make sure I, I ask about. And um, one yeah. of them is, you know, you've got a stellar educational background. You spent you went MBA at the Kellogg School. Um, you. Spent uh, it's actually a, Kelly. Uh, the
1: Kelly Kelly School, School, I'm it. sorry, the Kelly you, Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, I
0: I've got to make at least one mistake every every episode, <laughs> so hope, hopefully that's the only one. Uh, you also spent time at Stanford, I believe. Um, yeah. Did yeah. how helpful how helpful was it to go through uh, to get your MBA and to. Your continuing education, you know, your mechanical engineering. I mean, it really is an right. ideal background in many ways for, you know, getting into technology and and running a company. Um, even if it was just the mechanical engineering background, that would still be a a better educational background than mine, which was in political science and uh, and all that. So, um, how helpful was it?
1: Well, because you are a political scientist, you are in marketing. You know, <laughs> it's the right true. field. <laughs> but,
0: you know, you know what? In all seriousness, that's true. And my first business, the one of the yeah. maybe the biggest lesson I learned so many lessons from it, but the yeah. biggest lesson yeah. probably was don't found a company in which you can't uh, be a driving force in behind the product. And so I was not an engineer. Was not I couldn't code. Um, I you know I hired people to do it. And that was incredibly challenging, partly because I didn't have experience, but also because i I didn't have that technical expertise. So my second business was a marketing agency, which I do have that so you're you're right <laughs>
1: yeah. it, it, and uh so so I agree with you
0: and
1: uh so one of my invested companies i have a company called faxo uh, I sent you a, a link the other day um uh, the CEO of that company is a financial guy, mm-hmm. right? But he's so passionate about marketing tech. And he has learned all the ropes within six months. And there's nobody that I know understands organic social marketing than he does. Yeah. Right? it's just unbelievable But the amount of, if you have interest, you can pick it up and learn, right? And, and, and so similarly, you know, I, I'm a mechanical engineer uh and mechanical guys are very hands on right i mean we learn how to put things together how to you know break things apart and uh i i've found that it's very curious you know uh, a lot of ceos that i meet in mean, the tech business are engineers right um they're rarely financial guys rarely marketing guys especially in software tech um they're either uh, mechanical, electrical, or computer science, but they're primarily uh, the hardcore engineering, which is mechanical or electrical or electronic, right? Um, so because there, there's an element of practicality about you know, feeling things with your hand and doing things and connecting it with your brain, and I, I think there's something uh, to be said about that, but I don't know, you know, I don't have any facts, it's, it's just uh, theory. Um, so. So after my engineering, you know, I loved, uh, you know, understanding how things work, right? so, especially uh, mechanical stuff. I did uh, software as, uh, you know, in my master's, uh, that's how I got into software. In master's I I did, uh, I wrote a computer program in Fortran for optimizing uh, mechanical assemblies, right? You know, if you have a a simple or a complex assembly, how do you define tolerances for the assembly, for, you know, for the machining of a hole or a, or a cylinder or whatever, right? How do you uh, engineer the tolerances when you're machining it with a lathe or whatever? So, so I started, you know, I wrote computer programs for optimize, optimization of assemblies and things like that. And then I went, uh, uh, worked at Ford as a consultant and worked on their um, uh, you know, uh, graphic system a system that's used for uh, designing cars uh, and learned a lot through it. They just, just, and I met some unbelievable talent there. I mean, these are all, um, you know, uh, one of the guys I still remember, he was in his early 60s. He was, you know, we used to look up to him as the father of this this product at Ford, the PDG, as the, the graphic system. He had written like 14 manuals. And we would go in there and read it up, and that was our, I used to sit till one AM in the morning and figure it out, you know. Uh, so anyway, so the the education the, then the MBA, uh, you know, really helped me, um, you, you know, to understand not the hands-on aspects of a business, but you know how to look at financial statements, for example. Um, how does foreign exchange work? How does macroeconomics work? Um, you know. Uh, why is uh, the cost of, uh, why is rupee weakening against the dollar, the Indian rupee, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you make sense of some of these things? Um, So those are the kind of things I started learning, you know, how to look at a balance sheet. uh, um, You know, how, how do you value a company, at least in theory, right? Nowadays, everything is out the door, but... How how do you value a company using discounted cash flows? You know, simple stuff like that. Uh, Then I had some amazing professors at Kelly, Uh, learned a lot from them. You know, I'm still connected to them on LinkedIn um, and, you know, meet them um, often whenever I travel to the US. And then the Stanford thing is more of a recent um, uh, interaction. So it happened, I think, in 2019 or something, where Suyati was one of the companies selected by Stanford, uh, Stanford's Seed Program. So Seed, uh, it's it's about looking at companies in developing economies, like countries like India, and uh, looking at those companies and helping them um, grow strategically. You know, grow fast. And so we were one of the few companies selected out of some seven hundred applicants or so. We were fifty of us uh, that were selected. So it's um, you know the selection obviously was very stringent. We had multiple interviews. Uh, there are site visits. People came, and and the program, uh, of course, uh, you know Stanford, uh, unbelievable quality. We had great faculty, um, uh, and you know we had expert coaches coming and training us, coming to our offices, uh, talking to my executive team. Sharing their experiences, so yeah, so that was the real hands-on stuff. I mean, uh, I learned a lot. So, uh, and that's one of the reasons that prompted me to think, you know, to bring in, uh, you know, someone to build those cultural imperatives I talked about. Mm. And that's when I realized that those were the gaps. You know, how do I, you know, so you know, the the lights go off. uh, You know, when you or go on, however yeah. will put it, uh, you know, when you start talking to people, when you start talking to other entrepreneurs who are in a similar, uh, you know, situation, and then you have all these experts from Stanford giving you, you know, great examples. Um, so, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, an amazing training. And it was, it was like a scholarship, you know, we hardly spent any money. And it was fully funded, you know, by, you know, by, by the, by the grant or whatever that, you know, uh, I think it's the Bob and litty Foundation, mm. uh, King Foundation, Bob King Foundation. So uh, it was it was amazing. So that that was great. You know, so we were the the second cohort to come out of the program in India. Uh, I think they are now uh, the fourth cohort is running, uh, or third or fourth. I'm not sure. So yeah. So that's what's uh, so that was the Stanford
0: piece. That's, that's fascinating. And that sounds like that might segue into the other question that I really wanted to make sure I, I asked, um, you replaced yourself as CEO, you founded the company, you became CEO, of course. And then you've you brought in a, another CEO who I believe is currently running the company. So that's a huge accomplishment. I, I, so I don't like to gloss over that it's it's not easy to replace yourself as a CEO. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what that was like, why you did it? um yeah what any any challenges in particular that sort of thing yeah
1: i i think becoming a ceo uh you know uh as i indicated earlier right you know i've been involved in a lot of decisions a lot of decision making uh things were centered through me um so I, I realized that you know this would really affect scaling right so i felt that you know, there are some inherent characteristics or qualities I have where uh, I had to pay attention to, you know, that's my, my nature, uh, you know, the, the way I think, right? Then I felt that, hey, is that the right thing for a CEO that can scale a business, right? So I had to do a bunch of introspection, um, and then I realized that, you know, I'm a good strategic thinker, I'm a connector of people, uh, I can bring business. Um, I, I can, uh, operationalize certain things, but, you know, uh, I think I'm not really good at, uh, for example, setting up scalable processes, setting up the right kind of budgeting mechanisms, the right kind of tracking, the right kind of, uh, you know, processes to drive decision-making down to the, you know, uh, every level, right and make each function independent. I realized that, you know, since as an entrepreneur, I had an input for every function. I, I knew how admin worked, I knew how finance worked, I knew how, you know, obviously I couldn't be an expert in everything, right? But I thought I was the expert. <laughs> so uh, based on my limited experience uh, working, you know, building this company right? And, People also gave me that respect, right? Obviously they know, hey, you know, they wouldn't challenge me,
0: right.
1: So then I realized that I had to bring in uh, the kind of a leader who not only challenged me, but also uh, challenge people uh, uh, down the chain to make sure that they're making or to help them make the right decisions. And those decisions, they're making it themselves and they feel the accountability for those decisions. Right. In my case, the accountability was with me still. So now this helped in in now, you know, I can double my company size without any issue. And because each function is independent and it's just a question of giving a bit more resources, and that function will scale.
0: I I think that's fascinating. Yeah. 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 To achieve
1: that, I have to get the right person who could actually make it happen.
0: Of course. And I'm sure that probably wasn't the easiest thing to do or. or, No, it it wasn't. Yeah. And I think it's because letting go is the hardest thing to do. So I, in fact, I
1: had a coach from Stanford luckily enough, we're still associated with Stanford. You know, it's kind of a long term association, the network. It's called the seed network, Stanford seed network. So I had uh, a coach help me through the process of setting up the governance, so that I can let go and do other things.
0: Very nice, very nice. Yeah, that, that's that's fascinating. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, I think it's one of the most critical things to to be able to do. Um, and you know, I certainly didn't come naturally for me. I, I I did recognize that I needed to do it, and I needed to bring people in who who would you know help me scale and grow and and create processes. And those were not my strengths. Um, yeah. So now I've not replaced myself as CEO, but I, I recognize that that is you know that it's 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 a difficult thing to do, very hard. Yeah. And uh, so kudos to you for for doing that. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was an easy. Yeah. So what is your focus now, though? That now that you have You've done that, you've got you and, and you've got the confidence that you're able to double in size for the company without, you know, without you know process challenges. Um, so what is what is that what does what the chairman then focus on? Yeah, so
1: uh, you know, two, three different things. Um one is strategy, you know, so um helping uh, you know, we have built up resources over the last few years. So we are pretty strong on cash, we're pretty strong on, you know, some of the things. Uh, skills, talent. So um, we could acquire another company and grow inorganically. That's one. Uh, we could collaborate, merge, partner with other companies, and you know grow that way. Hmm. We could uh, um, uh, set up new practices because we have the resources to do that. So, for example, you know we're setting up the Can- Canadian operations. Uh, you know where. Uh, because we we're able to deliver more services to people in the U.S. market and Canadian market uh, by setting things up there, uh, so so we could, I could look at some of those things. You know, set up an office in in South America, for example, to, uh, if required. You know, for people to operate in the U.S. time, right? Uh, or um, buy a company. So, for example, we're talking to this uh, a smaller consulting company uh, in the, in the Pacific uh, Southwest. Uh, can we uh, buy them and integrate them? So th- those are the thought process that are uh, that are in my mind. So that's one. The second thing is nurturing my relationships uh, with um, you know new prospects mm-hmm. and also existing customers. But I don't want to get deep into those relationships. But provide comfort to my customers that hey, I'm available. I'm there to help you, and you can come to me for anything, right? Uh, and so that's one thing. Uh, so I can do all that a bit more freely now, without worrying about my schedule or worrying about you know. And, and the third thing is um, uh, strategic solution building. So I'm I'm reading a lot uh, about digital transformation, new technologies, how things are evolving, how is the future going to look like. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to my customers, I can I can have a very open discussion on where are they going, you know? Have they thought about this and that? Have they read, uh, you know, uh, this report, uh, you know, from from the United Nations or from the World Economic Forum on on this topic, right? I, and so those kind of discussions, which I could not have before, because I didn't have time to to get in. And so that's something that I am doing. And the fourth thing is pursuing some of my passions. You know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm doing uh, I'm thinking about starting a Uh, an investment uh, company where I can invest in areas that are dear to me, like, uh, environment, um, you know, helping with hunger and, you know, some of those
0: things. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, Mukund, I really appreciate you being on this show. This has been a wonderful episode. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing about your business and your background. Um, Was there anything that we didn't cover that you think we should uh, we should we should dive into?
1: No, I I think I I really enjoyed uh, my time. I enjoyed uh, sharing all these insights, and uh, uh, I hope uh, my uh, journey, uh, you know, is useful to others. And you know, you can you know share my contact information or LinkedIn profile. People can reach out. Why don't
0: we? Why don't we say right now what what? How should people get in touch with you? How do you, how do you like to be contacted? Uh, LinkedIn is
1: best because I think they can really explore my background as well. Um, You know, and uh, www, uh, you know, but linkedin.com slash I N slash one word.
0: Excellent. So, and we'll put the link in the show notes here again. Thanks so much. This has been very insightful. Great, great time talking to you and getting to know you. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening to Road to CEO. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Mukund Krishna, and his contact information will be available in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to Road to CEO on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And leave a review if you like the show.